Attention people who still care. How can regular people like us invest in a way that fixes our broken financial system? This is the question we ask on the Crowd Effect podcast. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist investment advisor at Stakeholder Enterprise. On today's show, global stock markets decline as China makes cuts to key lending benchmarks in an effort to boost their sagging economy making many investors seeing red, very red, red army red, communist red. Yeah, I said that. But before we get into that, I'd first like to talk about Chinese banks. According to Investopedia, four of the top 10 most profitable companies in the world in 2022 were Chinese banks. These banks are the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, China Construction Bank Corp, Agricultural Bank of China, and rounding out the list is Bank of China. So what are some reasons why Chinese banks are so profitable? Well, first off, the sheer size of the Chinese population and their market allows them to generate significant revenue from a wide range of banking services, including lending, deposits, wealth management, and investment banking. Now, Chinese banks operate within a system where the government exercises considerable influence and control. The government has implemented policies to support the banking sector and ensure its stability. State-owned banks, in particular, receive strong backing from the government, which can provide them with preferential treatment, lower borrowing costs, and access to funding. And a reason that I find very important is that China has traditionally had a high savings rate. This has translated into abundant deposits for Chinese banks. The availability of deposits provides banks with a stable and low-cost source of funds, allowing them to lend and invest more profitably. If you thought the concentration of wealth is a problem in the United States, it's much worse in China. This concentration limit limits competition, restricts market entry, for smaller players and reduces diversity in the banking sector. It also increases the risk of moral hazard and too big to fail financial crisis. Highly profitable, highly profitable banks often take on excessive risk in their pursuit of profits. If Chinese banks engage in risky lending practices or speculative activities, it could pose systemic risk to the financial system. Any disruption in China's banking sector could have ripple effects on the global economy. Given the close relationship between Chinese banks and government, it raises the question about undue state influence on banking operations, lending decisions, and corporate governance. This influence could impact the autonomy and independence of banks. Most likely, it certainly does potentially leading to distortions in the allocation of resources and market inefficiencies. Which leads us to our main news story of the day. Global stock markets decline as China cuts key lending benchmarks in attempt to boost their sagging economy. 
Global stock markets declined because many investors felt the cuts weren't deep enough. The People's Bank of China, which is kind of like the Fed in the U.S., cut the one-year loan prime rate by a quarter of a percentage point to 4.45%, and the five-year loan prime rate by 0.15 percentage points to 4.95%. The cuts are the first since April 2020 and come as the Chinese economy faces continuing challenges from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine. The loan prime rate is a reference rate for commercial banks to lend money to each other. The cuts are expected to make it cheaper for businesses to borrow money and invest, which could help boost economic growth. The People's Bank of China has been taking a number of steps to support the Chinese economy in recent months. In May, the central bank cut the reserve requirement ratio for banks by half a percentage point. The reserve requirement ratio is the amount of money that banks are required to hold in reserve and cutting it frees up more money for banks to lend. The People's Bank of China is also providing more liquidity to the financial system through open market operations. Open market operations are when the central bank buys or sells government bonds in order to influence the money supply. So in this case, China is buying uh, and putting more money into the economy. Now, here are some potential impacts of the cuts to the loan prime rate. Lowering lending rates could help to boost economic growth. The cuts will make it cheaper for business businesses to borrow money, which could lead to increased investment and hiring. This could help to offset some of the negative impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Lowering lending rates could also help to support the property market. Now, the property market has been one of the hardest hit sectors in, China, in the Chinese economy in recent months. The cuts could help to make it more affordable for people to buy homes, which could boost demand for new homes. However, the cuts could also lead to higher inflation. If businesses pass on the lower lending rates to consumers in the form of higher prices, this could lead to inflation. Because the Chinese people have such a high rate of savoring, savings, and lowering the reserve requirement, to me, makes it inevitable for inflation to increase. Now, just like in the United States, commercial banks are allowed to make loans based on the deposits of their account holders, minus the reserve requirements. Also like in the United States, Chinese banks don't use the funds of their account holders to make loans. They create money to make the loans. By lowering the reserve requirement, Chinese banks will be creating more money. Inflation happens when market demand can't keep up with money creation. In the United States, it's estimated that on average, commercial banks create up to 97% of the money here in this country. So in my opinion, this is not good news for our global economy and not good news for inflation in the United States. 
So how can regular people like us invest in a way to mitigate the potential negative effects of Chinese fiscal policy and the actions of four of the five most profitable banks in the world? Become a crowd investor. When you're engaging in crowd investing, it's important to note what you're not investing in. You're not investing in the stock market and corporate bottom line. The big four Chinese banks are all on U.S. stock exchanges. And if you have a 401k that your company has set up for you, you are almost certainly investing in these Chinese banks. You are unknowingly participating and potentially making inflation worse. By engaging in crowd investing, you are not investing in outsourcing into China. U.S. companies outsource jobs like accounting and bookkeeping, IT services, customer service, and of course the big one, manufacturing. There is significant research indicating that outsourcing is a major contributing factor to income inequality. Now I'm a licensed investment advisor and a fiduciary. A fiduciary is both legally and ethically bound to look out for their client's best financial interest. I'm here to say that investing in the stock market is not in your best financial interest. According to a paper published earlier this year by McKenzie and Company, the returns of the stock market are slowly declining leading to accredited and institutional investors to flee the public stock market to the riskier but higher returns of the private market. Now, crowd investing happens to be in the private market. And the only way the general public can invest in the private market is via crowdfunding and crowd lending. And this was only possible due to the passage of the recent Jobs Act and Regulation A+, and Regulation Crowdfunding in 2015 and 2016, respectively. The private market carries more risk, but because of crowdfunding investments, minimums as little as $10, it is very easy to become incredibly diversified and mitigate such risks. Now, the private market is where um, you can invest in startup companies. Uh, and private loans and business ventures. So it's divided into three asset classes. Uh, one asset class is crowd lending. And this is a way regular people can pool their money to lend to the people that they feel like deserves the loan. Uh, an important thing to note about this is that when we engage in crowd lending, there is no money creation happening. Uh, we're not allowed to create money. We actually have to put up our own money to, to lend to others. Uh, and with crowd lending, it's not just a few uh, concentrated big banks. The Chinese have their big four. Well, here in the United States, we have a big four, which control half of all the banking assets in the United States. And when you have that concentration of wealth and power, they're dictating who gets loans and who doesn't. And uh, all of us have to jump through hoops to get loans from these banks. And when we're during these inflationary periods, 
um, like we are now, it's incredibly difficult to get loans, especially if you're a, a small business. That's the, where the beauty of crowd lending steps in. Um, regular people now can step in and provide loans to small businesses. Now, the only way to uh, provide a loan to the small businesses through the private market, which is why crowd lending is so important uh, for all of us. And here's a great part. Uh, you could get incredible returns from it, the same returns that, that banks would be getting. But instead of going to banks, we are redistributing that wealth to regular people. Uh, and yes, it it is a better investment than the stock market, in my opinion. The diversity, uh, the diversification that happens is just far superior. Uh, so that's crowd lending. And, th and that is your debt investments. In the public market, that's through bonds, um, which have a whole host of, of problems, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Now, there's also another asset class, which is equity crowdfunding. Now, equity crowdfunding is investing in startup companies. You're investing companies at the ground floor. Now, this is significant for uh, many different reasons. Uh, first off, um, as, uh, as a crowd investor, as, as someone participating in equity crowdfunding, uh, we can pick and choose who gets funding and who doesn't. Uh, in 2022, uh, just 2.2% of venture capital funds went to uh, women founders and just 1.8% went to uh, black founders. So there's groups that are getting overlooked, uh, overlooked traditionally and historically, uh, but now there are uh, equity crowdfunding sites that uh, specifically go after uh, you know black-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, uh, and uh, other crowd uh, equity crowdfunding platforms that highlight it when it is. So you can choose who gets. The, uh, the your startup money and who doesn't in the past it was dictated by a small group of wealthy investors uh, so this is huge for just a way to shape our economy um, the private market like i said it's it's investing in startup companies but it's also uh, where how we can shape uh, the way companies are built we don't we don't have to invest in companies that have uh, this pressure to constantly increase their quarterly profits. Uh, in the private market, there, there, isn't, there isn't that pressure and we can uh, find a way to invest in companies that promote the um, things that we care about, uh, that we can invest in companies that look out for, for all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Uh, a stakeholder is the company's employees, its customers, its suppliers and vendors, um, it's investors and shareholders. It's the community the company serves, the environment. These are all stakeholders. And uh, through equity crowdfunding, we can now uh, shape the, the, the future of uh, our economy and the way uh, our companies uh, uh, look, which is huge. Uh, and then finally, we have real estate crowdfunding, also alternative uh, crowdfunding. Uh, and that is investing in private real estate, which uh, has been locked out for regular investors uh, up until 2015, 2016. And, and so this is also huge. Uh, this is the first time in history 
where someone who's renting and makes $30,000 a year can be a landlord to a multi-billion dollar corporation. <sighs> My name is Paul Lovejoy. I am a crowd investor, and I see you are one too. If you'd like to know the three secrets to fix our broken financial system democratically without confrontation or divisive political action, go to stakeholderenterprise.com.